Well, it's good for us to be here in this convocation, the togetherness of voices. And uh, it's good of the Bodleian to have us here, so we're delighted. It's also good to celebrate a literary magazine that declares itself without anxiety and with certain defiance to be a literary magazine. So from the start, before I read the contents, the omens were good. But actually, it was very auspicious just to see the book itself because it reminded me of uh, one of the most important publications in Irish writing in the last century, a book that came out in 1960s, early 60s, it's called The Dolman Miscellany of Irish Writing. Again, published by a small press, the Dolman Press, a press kept online and uh, kept uh, working by, again, a visionary editor uh, who was committed to a certain number of writers. Uh, again, uh, a press with high standards of production, high artistic standards, and a sense of purpose emanating from that place. So uh, I'd say I knew it was going to be all right. Like the Dolman Press, Clutag already has a purchase on his audience and got a kind of passionate focus. At the same time, what, what struck me also as very, very uh, um, uh, ominous in a good way, auspicious because of the birds, I suppose, the auspices were there. It was um, this color, the same color as the other magazines. But it also reminded me of another colorful. Irish book, uh, totally irrelevant. Not the little red book of Mao Zedong, <laughs> but uh, a religious magazine that used to be in every household in Ireland called The Messenger of the Sacred Heart. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of the same colour, it was kind of crossed between traffic light red and beetroot crimson. <laughs> and on the surface of it, instead of uh, birds plunging towards earth, it had Christ ascending, we think, into heaven. <laughs> the same Christ from the Oxford Jesuit poet, Derek Manley Hopkins, celebrated as the wind hover, uh, the <coughs> dappled dawn-drawn falcon. Well, this magazine also has its bird, its sheer water, I take it, uh, not ascending into heaven, but descending necessarily, uh, and, and a celebratory way, towards earth. An open-winged kingdom of sea lights, uh, down-diving shearwater. And uh, it's hurrying to brood and embrace the planet, a planet more in need of embrace than any time before. The traffic light red of the messenger uh, had also a second very important function in rural Ireland in the 1940s, 1950s. You could put it on a flash lamp and make a taillight for a bicycle <laughs> out of it. <laughs> so, so there was a, there is a, also, I think, in this book, a necessary warning aspect. The planet which is being celebrated, we're being reminded we must take care of it, that there is a, a military threatening aspect to the life we're in and this, this book and the writers and the vision behind the writing uh, and the vision behind the 
editor, as we hear from Andrew Elion, is, is of that salvific sort. So I think that what the magazine contents are saying is what Hopkins was saying. There lives the dearest freshness deep down in things. And actually, everything in the magazine is saying that in one way or another. You can hear it from what was said here this afternoon. The dearest, deepest freshness is in the old mythological possibilities still being stirred up in the poetry of McKimla and Paul Abbott. It's there, the deepest freshness in the language itself, in the language of Anglo-Saxon that Greg has translated in the Russian, that uh, Andrew Kahn has translated. It's there in the languages resourced and resourced and uh, criticized and refreshed by Mark Williams's criticism. It's there in the ancient springs quoted by Andrew in his editorial of Ecclesiastes. And it's there in the complete freshness with which the usual life is uh, refreshed in uh, Bernard O'Donoghue's poetry and in the poetry of the poet McNeil, McNeely as opposed to the editor. And in the images, as Yeats said, that yet fresh images beget in the work of Norman Ackroyd, Julian Bell, John Beatty, and Gail McNeely. What strikes you as you read the magazine is that something is coming to a head. Something is being harnessed. Everything in the issue manifests the truth of uh, a statement by Czesław Miłosz, great uh, Lithuanian-born Polish language poet, who said in, in one of his poems, what is articulated strengthens itself. What is not articulated tends towards non-being. What is being articulated here strengthens itself. So it's an honor to have been asked to say words as well as read these couple of poems, which are quite short, I assure you. Um, in order to salute the issue and the editor and the editorial and celebrate them in Andrew's own words. While our unnameable archipelago is the subject of the journal, its vision is by implication global and its concerns with the state of the planet could not be more of the hour. And so say all of us, as we also say, so be it and amen to that defiant uh, quotation that I alluded to earlier. In spirit and in archipelago, in spirit and in letter, archipelago asserts in an unrepentantly circular sense, secular sense, that prayers of praise or celebration are as worthy, perhaps even more worthy, than prayers of petition. Above all, archipelago is a literary journal with literary values. So we say to the second issue, the same again. <laughs> and whatever you're having yourselves. Uh, the, this, is a, this is called Fragment. When you're stuck, uh, there's a high literary uh, uh, kind of progeny for, for fragments. I mean, I, I got a certain distance with this poem. It's about, about um, I was in Nairn in Scotland, standing at the end of the pier, and these dolphins began to 
move out of the edge. So it's one of those things I just had to write down. And whereas I was writing it down of uh, David Constantine's dolphins, aware of dolphins all over the place in, in Dingle, there's a dolphin swimming around, aware that the Empress of Japan, after she lost her voice through a certain amount of stress and anxiety, it came back to her when suddenly she saw a dolphin on the seas, leaping out of the sea, and she spoke again. So that's far better than this, but here, this is uh, called Nairn in Darkness and in Light. Nairn uh, is the birthplace of a writer called David Thompson, who grew up there and is referred to at the end. So fragment, Nairn in Darkness and in Light. One summer night in Nairn, when the Maury Firth was a gull-backed, gull-breasted afterglow, we stood on the pier with other watchers, sharing their low-voiced, self-contained excitements. As an intermittent silk shine furled and roiled in the half-light, then somebody said, Dolphins. Dolphins, for certain, though none there could agree which shift or gleam contained them out there at Earth's rim and rondure. We just kept standing, as if in our twos and threes we'd gather providentially, and they'd appeared. I thought of David Thompson's unfaulting, damaged eyes that saw waves and waterfalls in young girls' hair, of sex in Eden, sweet-flexed, given, low-voiced, quickening, starry, one summer night in Nairn. And this is called Our Mystery. It's a prose piece. Prose poems are problematical. I like David Jones, he calls them writings. So it's a bit of writing. It's called Our Mystery. I see him still, a mystery to the islanders, a goad to me in the pub the night before. Why had I caved in? Was I not ready for the inner journey? Now I watched him from the open boat that was taking us back to the mainland, a solitary profile against high sky and the hillside of stone walls. Among the Guinness barrels, under the swag nets and lobster pots, He'd spoken like a nuncio with news for me at the white voice game. Sorry, he'd spoken with a nuncio with news for me, the imperiled one. News he was still imparting when we went our separate ways at the white voice gable. I for the family hotel beside the pier. He for the two-mile walk to his fisherman's hut, the settled bed and writing table of planks and tea chests. As I sat on the thwarts with a child on either knee, I noticed the man at the tiller would occasionally turn his head as if he too were keeping track. So I inquired, and what about our friend? How does he make out? Ah, the answer came. He spends his days just walking around the island, working the head. (laughs) 